Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Roker Paul podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. My name's Rich Spate and I'm joined to discuss the news of the latest developments in Sunderland's shareholding by Chris Wynn. How are you this morning, Chris? All the better for the latest news, Rich. All the That's better. That's nice, isn't it? It is. Yeah, sun is shining and everyone can relax a little bit. And we're also joined by uh, Gav Henderson. How are you, Gav? Party! Hey! <laughs> yeah, good news. Good news all around, isn't it? It's good to finally be able to talk about a step forward on yeah. this day when the players are coming back for pre-season and we can start looking forward to the championship. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's, it's all positive. So, just to recap, anyone who isn't aware of what came out this morning about 8 o'clock or just after 8, the club put out a tweet saying that Carol Louis-Dreyfus had taken his shareholding in the club up to 51% and that Juan Satori had gone up to 30% with Charlie Metfin leaving the ownership group altogether, leaving Stuart Donald with 19% of the club. There was a statement from Carol Louis-Dreyfus shortly after uh, which said that today marks an important step as we continue to rebuild Sunderland AFC following the 2021-22 season. It was the intention of Juan and I to ensure the ongoing speculation relating to the club's shareholding was addressed as soon as possible. Our ownership group has been consolidated and there will be no further sales of shares to a third party buyer. We remain committed to our strategy of delivering long term success and sustainability and together alongside our dedicated staff and loyal supporters, I believe we can now move forward as one united football club. So um might be a, a, a simple uh, and straightforward question for you to answer, Chris, but are you uh, you glad to see the back of Charlie Methvin? Uh yes. <laughs> I mean I think I think we all are. I think <laughs> I think that's the most obvious first first question and uh, an obvious first answer. But yeah, I think this goes back to I think probably hours after the playoff final. I think probably mm-hmm. Carol Louis Dreyfus had a had a good sup on the night with everyone else, had a good drink to celebrate going up. And then I imagine next day him and Juan Satori were, you know, getting together and saying, right, we need to get this sorted as soon as possible so we can crack on looking at next season. So I mean that that was what, a month ago yesterday, I think it was, um, that playoff mm-hmm. final. So it's basically taken them a month to sort out, which is good because it's done, but 
we lost three weeks because of the playoffs. And I mean, as much as they might publicly say this didn't impact us kind of, you know, looking at deals and how much money we've got and budgeting and all this sort of stuff, you know, it might have had some impact for the last four weeks. So, you know, maybe seven of this week, you know, weeks of this preseason has been taken up by playoffs and, and sorting this deal out. But bottom line is it's all sorted and it's good news for the club moving forward because we know exactly what the state of play is. Kirill Louis-Dreyfus has now kind of squashed all of those comments that people come out with that, oh, well, he's only got so many shares. He hasn't even got over half the shares. And what side does Juan Sartori land on? Is he still with Madrox? Is he kind of permanently with Kirill? You know, so all of those questions have been answered. We can move forward. You know, Stuart Donald's still there with his 19%. But to be fair, him and Charlie Methven got into it to buy cheap because we, the club was in a mess. And to, to mm-hmm. sell big, to kind of yep. get us up and sell big, which they've done. So they, they've got their bit out of it. And, you know, Stuart Donald's clinging on to whatever in case we get into the Premier League. And fair play, you probably would. But yeah, good news all around as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, can't disagree with that. Gav, the big question, I guess, from the last two weeks, and obviously I've dug into it reasonably deeply. You know, there's been articles on Rotary Report about it. But on reflection, knowing... Obviously, that there were other deals in the background while all the uh, controversy was going on around TFT. What do you think was going on there? Was it literally just to kind of move things forward quicker, maybe get a few more quid out of KLD and Sartori, or was Methven just trolling us? Um, it could be a bit of everything, couldn't it? I think, to be honest, when you when you're talking about Charlie Methven as a as an owner and a, as somebody who would have to fund his part of the bargain right he, even as a six percent shareholder mm-hmm. you have to stump up cash when the club needs it as do all of the other members of the of the ownership group it becomes a point doesn't it where you, you're out of league one now and you're, you're going into the championship and budgets need to be bigger so we can compete and i always thought even in league one it would be difficult for him to keep doing that so yeah he needed to sell up probably as much as the rest of them need them to go. And in my mind, I I know that at some stage he did they did come out and say that they would sell to to the right people. But if you are struggling to keep up your end of the bargain, and I'm we don't have any anything firm on that, but if he was struggling to keep up his end of the bargain, then he needed to sell quickly. And I think, given everything that's gone on between him and the fans and the club, that he would have sold to anybody and. Mm. He would have been happy to just hand off his, even if it wasn't involved in Stuart Donald, he would have been happy to hand it off to anybody, which is why that deal, which was mooted with TFT, was very real. Because had they had people behind them who, who had the money to fund the purchase, I have no doubt he would have sold. But at the same time, when you come out publicly and you're very apparent about, I will sell to these people, and these people are very serious, and they're speaking to the EFL as Tom White reported on Sky Sports, that then puts pressure on the other remaining shareholders, doesn't it? It says, well, if you don't buy me out, I'm going to sell to anybody. But at the same time, on their part, it, they've got to try and, and work out, do we want to work with anybody else? Do we want some randomers coming into the club and do we want to work alongside them? It was made very clear in that statement by Kirill when the the TFT stuff was first mooted. He had no intention of working with TFT yeah. and... That made the situation change very rapidly. Also, at the same time, current shareholders can purchase shares a lot quicker, obviously, than somebody new coming into the club. So all around, it's working for the best, I guess, in that 
current shareholders have purchased more shares. It's been done very quickly. It's obviously been done on the day that the players return for pre-season. And we can now just look forward. And like I said, I think there was always a possibility that Charlie would sell to anybody. But I think deep down we all knew that eventually this would probably be the outcome. I don't think that as a responsible majority owner, Kira Louis-Dreyfus or even Juan Satori for that matter, would have allowed these cowboys effectively to to buy into the club. So it's going to be interesting to see how things play from here. I think I think it's just a it's a good marker, isn't it? Now that we can stop talking about all of these groups because chances are everywhere. You look at the other there's other teams in the EFL who are up for sale, and you're seeing it at Derby, for instance. These people are everywhere, and I think it's pretty clear we want them nowhere near Sunderland. So yeah, it's a, it's a good day. Yeah. yeah, just yeah. just to add to, to Gav's point, I mean, the bit in the statement today that Kirill Louis-Dreyfus put out where he said that it was the intention of uh, Juan and I to ensure the ongoing speculation related to the club's shareholding was addressed as soon as possible. I mean, I, I think they've been discussing that pretty much, you know, for the back end of last season and it all depended what league we were going to be in as to what the deal was in. And that's why I think it started as soon as that result was known and we wouldn't have known what kind of league we were going to be in. They told Charlie Methven and... Stuart Donald, right, we're going to sort the shareholding out. But that obviously meant that they were able to speak to third parties and whoever they wanted to. And I imagine Carol Louis Jeffers and Wansad Hori probably made them an offer to start with. And they just went looking and said, well, can we get a better deal? Which if you haven't got an emotional tie to the club, you probably would, which then probably led to, you know, more talks and, and, and discussions. But I, I, the way I see it is for the last month, I think it's been a, a bit of a game of cat and mouse between, you know, Donald and Methven looking for the best price and Kirill Louis-Dreyfus and Sartori looking to, to sort it out. It was interesting, wasn't it, that in all of the stuff that Tom White revealed, he did say that his information was Kirill Louis-Dreyfus had no intention of buying them out. You've just said they're cat and mouse. That's exactly what it is. I think it obviously the... The price of the shares will have been a big part of it, but I, I guess I guess the one thing that we can we can be thankful of here is that if Kirill's stance has changed, it's changed for the better. Yeah, and things can change very very quickly. I know that whatever information Tom had a couple of weeks ago, that things can change overnight. Things can change in a matter of days. Obviously, if that was the case, and we've got no reason to doubt Tom, Kirill changed his mind, but it's been for the better. Yeah, that was the the thing that didn't ring true with me really in my conversation with Tom was that statement about KLD not having any intention of increasing his shareholdership because you know there have been statements from Davison and I think KLD himself about that being the intention uh, this summer and that's what they would look into so yeah that that was a strange one but Chris you want to come in yeah I mean that that was the bit I didn't quite get from the stuff from, from Tom as well but uh, you know thinking about what KLD wants to do with the club and how he's going to do it but I think it speaks volumes that he's increased his ownership in the club to 51%. I think that number mm-hmm. tells you a lot that, you know, it, it's possibly a clue that he was kind of railroaded into it a little bit, that maybe what Tom said was true. And in the end, he just thought, well, this is the only way I can I can say this is kind of my club and I'm the definite owner and keeps the fan base happy, puts him in a stronger position further down the line. It's probably from from the bits and pieces that were taken from Tom and, and other sources in the past that it might be more than he actually wanted to, you know, because the next level, and don't get us wrong, I mean, we don't know how much he's got or whether it's in a trust or whether it's the family's money or, or we don't know all of those details. But the next step 
I mean, look look at what's happened to certain clubs who have tried to spend big and it hasn't gone quite right. So the next step yeah. is a huge step to to kind of, you know, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of the money you have to put in, in terms of, you know, players we have to bring in, the wages, all of that sort of stuff. So I, I do wonder that 51% does tell us everything kind of on where he is and maybe what's happened and what, you know, role he wanted to play in, in that next, well, I don't want to say in attempting to get us to the Premier League, because I think it's going to be a long old journey to to try and get there. But um, but yeah, I mean that is the ultimate aim, which could be you know as far as funding's concerned, a three, five, seven year plan. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to say on this whole you know saga over the last few weeks has been at least our fan base is now probably <laughs> got as much information as they'll ever need about kind of the the whole fan engagement token crypto world that seems to have invaded football over the last few years and months and perhaps it'll be something that our club will never go down that route or at least if they do they'll make sure that there's um, something a bit more solid behind it because I think everyone has had a little bit of a a lesson in, in what these crypto tokens are, how they work and how they aren't actually fan engagement of the kind that is democratic or inclusive or you know actually involves our supporters trust or anything like that so i mean that's that's one further point that i wanted to make gav the implications of this for this summer i guess are what most people are going to be thinking about really yeah what do you think do you think it'll unlock some transfer movement obviously you said that they're back in training today with their nice smart new kits on do you think it'll we'll we'll now see a flood of announcements because everything's been a, a bit quiet this summer, hasn't it? I, w- I wouldn't say a flood, but I do think that a good starting point would be some contract news. I know mm-hmm. you know this morning there's been a, a tweet from a from a guy at the Athletic about there being some movement on Patrick Roberts. Bailey Wright obviously has been away on international duty, so he'll not be back for a few weeks at least. And Lyndon Gooch has been training in Dubai, hasn't he, with Max Power? So he'll be mm-hmm. back. The manager, you know, the players are back on the training ground and everyone's refocused again after a, mm-hmm. after a short break. We're going to see some movement regarding that. And to be fair, if there's any out-of-contract players that we've lined up, I know we've been linked with a handful. I know that we'll not get all of our business done early in the window, but if we do have any players lined up, they're going to want to be training this week. Yeah, uh, you know they're not they're not going to want to be joining in late. They want they're going to be want to start and work like everybody else. So, I think just across the board, not just at Sunderland, you're going to see you're going to see the dominoes fall in terms of players signing and that opening up opportunities for other players to move around. Um, while everyone's on on leave, and that's not just the players, by the way, that's managers, that's agents, that's you know staff behind the scenes at all these clubs. Everybody has to have a break after the season ends. Everyone's back at work this week, and that that should kick things into life. You'd think. I know that's a very obvious thing to say, but yeah. you know, there's only really in our league. I think Cardiff. It's nice to say that, isn't it? In our league, um, there's only really Cardiff in the Championship who've signed players, and they've went mental. But then I look at the quality of the player they've signed, and they haven't signed anybody particularly good. They've signed squad players, and this is a point I tried to make to people earlier last week is that the bulk of the players who actually sign for clubs at the very, very start of pre-season, they're the most desperate for contracts. They're the ones who just want to get going. The better players, the ones who've got an, a number of options, they, they're advised more often than not by their agents and the people around them to hang on for the best possible deal. 
and that's what we saw last year, didn't we? We saw that last yeah. summer with Sunderland. Very early in the window, we was we actually played games at the start of the pre-season with Dan Neal playing left-back and Carl Winchester at that time, who wasn't a right-back, playing right-back because we didn't have any full-backs and people were panicking, you know, ourselves included. We were sort of looking at it and thinking, what's going on? But come the end of the window, I don't think anyone could doubt we did good business and that's telling and that's... I can't I can't tell people how to think, but from my perspective, I'm going to be pretty uh, patient when it comes to transfer business and contracts. I think I think we've shown and demonstrated over the last two windows that we know what we're doing, or at least Stuart Harvey knows what he's doing, and he's been a real key player at the club since he arrived. And and yeah, we've just got to be patient. I think you know don't don't get too despondent if we don't have everything in place by the time you know even the start of next week, the start of the games occur because it doesn't happen that quickly. Yeah, of course. And and you mentioned earlier that there'd be plans in place. I think Chris mentioned earlier, you know, there'd be there'd be plans in place for, for the ownership that probably gone back before the playoff final. They probably will have had different plans in place. And there's definitely been a more methodical approach to recruitment with Harvey in post. And, and hopefully, you know, they've got, as has been described in the past when, when Speakman's spoken to Unfiltered and, and other kind of media appearances, they've said, you know, they've got a list of potential people who might fit in with the squads and then it's down to the head coaches to, to select who they want from that list. So you'd hope that the background work has been done and, and over the next few weeks we get some more of that business done. Chris, I wanted to ask you what you thought about the fact that now Donald has reduced his shareholding um, and obviously won't have to put in or be liable to put in as much as he previously would have, probably about 50% less of the, the liability than he than he previously had. Does that give us more power in the transfer market? Does it ensure that if there is some money that needs to be spent that you know we're, we're asking Sartori and Kira Louis Dreyfus to spend that money and we're not beholden so much to the, the budgets of Donald and Methven. Well, not Methven at all. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's half the risk, isn't it? Because if you're, yeah. if you're relying on, on Stuart Donald, if Stuart Donald has to pay up on whatever it is, you know, you know, running costs or, you know, we're looking to buy a player or, or whatever it might be. Yeah, we've, we've halved our risk on him not paying up and putting the money up. Just, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to knock the guy because he's, he's probably more, you know, got more money than than us and, and most people out there. But Stuart Donald isn't in the realms of Carol Louis-Dreyfus or Juan Satori, I think, when it comes to how much money kind of he's got to, to be able to, to fund things like this. And the other thing is he's he's got interests in Eastleigh. And I think he's, it sounds mm-hmm. like he's getting back into there. I don't know whether it's on, on an official basis or whether he's, he's actually running the show or just kind of helping out or what. I don't know. But it seems like he wants to get back in there and he wants to stay in football in some way, shape or form. You never know. He might, he might turn around like Gav says. Things might change. Stuart Donald might decide. Like actually, I, I do want a bit of a. I do fancy the the football league again. Have another crack at it. So he might say, right, I'm selling up my nineteen percent, take my bat and ball somewhere else. But and I said earlier, he got into Sunderland the same as Methven because we were at an all time low and it, we were cheap and they could do it. They could do a deal where they got the deal for Sunderland at that time. Well, hopefully, Touchwood will never come around again because hopefully we won't hit that low. So. A deal to buy Sunderland for the amount they paid with the help of, you know, whatever shady business they, you know, when I say shady business, they used club funds and all that sort of stuff. But the, the deal wasn't them just pumping money into the club. Like, 
sometimes happens in a in a takeover. They did it a slightly different way. So that deal will never come round for a club like Sunderland again, hopefully, touch wood. They got it at a rock bottom to sell high, and that's why he's he's keeping his 19%. He's probably looking at it saying, well, why should I bother buying into a Charlton Athletic or a, you know someone like that to, to go through all that again when he can be the silent partner for 19%, Sunderland do well in the championship. Sunderland, we finish sixth, get in the playoffs, win the playoff final or whatever, go up. His 19% is suddenly worth you know, t- a hell of a lot of money. Exactly. So, I mean, from, from his point of view, it, he would. Like I said, it, it, the bottom line is it halves the risk on him not paying up, which which I think is, is only a good thing. Just yeah. adding on the, on the Donald stuff as well, it's going to be interesting from this point how people sort of view his input because... I've been judging the the conversation on social media this morning since the news broke, and I think what's important is, and we've already covered this off, but what's important is is that he is obligated to basically cover a fifth of the running costs of the football club, but he still doesn't sit on the board of directors. He doesn't have any say. Kirill Louis-Dreyfus is the majority shareholder. And the statement this morning that went out, I think was very clear. And to be honest, this has been made clear so over the last few months, hasn't it, when Kirill and Juan Satori have been pictured publicly at games together, they were pictured together at Wembley, that they are very much in cahoots, they're very much in this together, they're working together. Stuart Donald's name wasn't mentioned in that statement. It was Juan and I, it wasn't yeah. Juan, Stuart and I. He's a silent partner now. To be honest, Stuart Donald, since he, was, since he resigned as chairman, has been a silent partner, hasn't he? We haven't heard really anything from him up until it was made clear that him and Charlie were selling their shares in what, March or April, whenever that was? It might have been closer to that, I don't know. But Stuart Donald's been pretty silent since that point, and I think that's important. They've removed him from the picture. His part to play in all this really is as a financer. He puts his money in, and hopefully at some point down the line, will get his shares off him and he'll go they'll go to Kirill. But there's a reason why that they've kept him on board and it's to basically to have somebody else on the scene who will fund part of the club. That's pretty much it. Stuart will go at some point. I wouldn't worry about how much say he's got though. That's ultimately it. I don't think going forward we'll hear anything from the guy. He's pretty much out of the picture now. Well that's how we want it. It's an easy life for him, isn't it? He's got a stake in this club which could potentially go, you know, skyrocket in price if we do well. So it's it's kind of the best of both worlds for him that he leaves all the hard work to someone else. He sits on all his money, watches the value go up if we do well. It makes sense for for him, for him to do that and stay out of things, doesn't it? Yeah, just to throw I'll throw this one your way, Rich. I know you're you're in the horse chair today, but like Stuart Donald still being involved, that's still not going to satisfy some people, though, is it? Like I think we can all say we prefer if that Madrox stink was just gone and. You know that the club could move forward and ha- and and have a fresh start under Kirill without Donald anywhere near Sunderland. But like, how, how do you feel in terms of him still being around? Because I I think a lot of the narrative coming out of this is going to be well, he's still here. You know, regardless of the fact he sold some of his shares, he is still part of the club. I think the first thing that comes to mind with that is we don't know the status of that twenty million pound or nineteen million pound um, loan that the club made to Madrox. And we don't know how much of that has been repaid as Charlie Meffin has exited. We don't know how much is outstanding on that bill. I think the last update that we had through the fan groups was that it was being paid down, but hadn't been paid down in full. 
But I think it would be good of the club to communicate with the fan groups about where that uh, repayment is up to. Because what we, we wouldn't want is anyone making profits on their shares when they when they still have a at least a moral obligation to repay money that they took out of the club. Mm. And I think that's I think that's really important. So if he's sticking about so that he, he's held uh, to account for repaying that money, then that, that would be a good thing. Um, I think we can't, as I've said repeatedly over the last kind of few years, you know, you can't you cannot set force somebody to sell their property and um that those shares belong to Stuart Donald and it's only Stuart Donald who can decide if and when he wants to to sell those shares. The ins and outs of the shareholder agreement uh, in place that governs the kind of the relationship within the private limited company that, that Sunderland Association Football Club is will never be made public to non-shareholders, which is was fair enough. It's a private limited company. That's that's between the shareholders. But the the basis upon which Stuart Donald's ongoing involvement in the club uh, is made, I think we could do with the outlines of that. Just again, in terms of clarity, one thing from this morning is that this time they have been clear about the shareholdings. It hasn't just been, oh, you know, Charlie Methven's gone and Louis Dreyfus and Sartori have increased their shareholdership and they've not they've not given us the details of the breakdown of that, at least they've learned that, that, you know, if you're going to say this, you actually have to tell people exactly what's happened and not allow stories to go around from media organisations that read a little bit more into what was said than actually came out, you know, when when the, the, the initial takeover went through. So I think, yeah, in terms of his ongoing involvement, I think it will always leave us sour taste in the mouth I think if results on the pitch go reasonably well then people you know that that always helps take our mind off off these things but the big kind of underlying concern for many supporters has been we haven't spent a significant amount of money on transfer fees now whether you think spending money on transfer fees or not is a is a is a decent idea anyway given the state of football finances is another thing but you know if 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 it is quite clear that we are bringing in players of a good quality on contracts that are going to keep them at the club for a long time and so that they've got asset value to the club and that clearly involves investment from across the the now three different owners of the club i think we can't necessarily complain yeah, from my perspective, you can't. We can't do anything. We can't do anything about it, and and we've really got to just move forward, not move on, but move forward as a supporter base because it's it's been a drag on us for four years. I am sick to death of this story, and I've wrote about it for over three years now. Talked about it for longer than that. Sick to death of it. Would like never to talk about shareholding, shareholder agreements, <laughs> investments, anything like that. Uh, again, at least until we're in the Premier League. So it'll just be nice not to have it hanging over us. It'll always be there in the background. People will always find fault with the club and 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 see a conspiracy here, there, and everywhere. But uh, you know, the the vast majority of people just want to get on and watch football and see the kit launch and get back to the stadium and, and enjoy maybe 
you know, a little trip to Portugal or whatever people have got planned over the summer uh, without any of this hanging over us. So that's where I am with it. Just yeah, there was a there was a good point in there you made about the the money that is owed by Madrox. Sorry to keep you on the subject because I know you <laughs> you now want to get off the subject of Shell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but <laughs> there was a good point about that money owed by Madrox because, and I don't know, I'm not an expert now. These things work, but you wouldn't be surprised if that money owed was part of this deal with you know. KLD and Sartori buying those shares that maybe that if, if they owed money, it seems daft that the club would pay, f, you know, f outright, you know, and pay full for their shares when they actually owe the club all of that money. I imagine there's a deal on how the structure, how they pay that back. But you'd imagine from their point of view, from Methven and, and Don's point of view as well, they'd want that paid off. They wouldn't want to go into other deals to say, oh, yeah, we've got the, we've got all this, but actually we've got this debt floating around that we need to pay off. So you'd imagine from both parties that it would suit them better if that was part of this this whole share exchange. Totally. I, th I think you're absolutely right there. And a lot of this has been about the relative risk and the exposure to risk and the exposure to liabilities that any club in the championship has. We know that wage bills in the championship are significantly higher than in League One and that the the increase in TV revenue of, what, seven, eight million quid doesn't really tend to cover the increase in wage bill. So them kind of divesting themselves of that risk is a big part of this. So um, to conclude, really, I just want final words on Charlie Methven. Hopefully the last time we have to talk about him. So I'll give you the opportunity, <laughs> Gav, to... Uh, to sum up what you think his legacy at Sunderland AFC will be, yeah, what are your thoughts on on Mr. Salmon Pants? Well, it's it's a difficult one to sort of summarise very briefly, isn't it? It's been a mental sort of four year period where he went mm -hmm. from being really the the public figurehead of the club as a business to then disappearing into the background but still sort of weaving his magic in the media and through statements and things like that. So I, I think ultimately this, this had to happen. He had to, he had to sell up. I, I mean, I, I touched on it at the start. I'm not convinced that he had the finance to, to even fund his part of the deal anymore. I did hear murmurings, and it might not be related to Charlie, but that in January, some of the shareholders or one of the shareholders refused to pay their way when it came to the sign of a player, which tells you everything, you know. Mm -hmm. Somebody was struggling to pay their part. <laughs> Look, Char Charlie, to everyone outside of the club, is the bloke off the Netflix series who shouted at a female employee who, you know, was a bit mental and, and a bit erratic. And I think that's going to be his legacy. I think, I think people will just think about what they saw on Netflix and the things he said about supporters in in meetings and to fans in pubs that didn't sit well with fans and that tars what was probably a good six months for him and Stuart Donald in which they from a PR perspective they played a blinder they had I mean me included we, they had us changing all the seats in the stadium they had us turning up on Boxing Day and, and packing out the stadium and doing our bit as much as we could feasibly do to rebuild the football club while they were operating on a budget. I think, you know, he did play his part in that. 46,000 fans or whatever it was on Boxing Day, that first season back. The increased season ticket sales, from Martin perspective, I think we were a lot better in that first season. But at the same time as, as sort of the, the gleam wore off, I think of the, the Portsmouth 
playoff semi-final where zero effort went into getting fans into yeah. the ground and you know things span out of control very quickly that'll be his legacy I think he'll be viewed forever as as a figure of hate by the fan base and that's probably going to tarnish him wherever he goes from this point isn't it you know I think he's yeah. as a man who who worked in PR works in PR for some pretty big firms I think that's how he landed on Sunderland wasn't it he was the he was in charge of PR for Skibo Castle which Ellis Short owns and that was his way into Sunderland. I don't think you're going to hear much about Charlie Methven as a PR man going forward. I think he's probably going to take his money and try and live a comfortable life now. <laughs> yeah. I would like to think that he'll probably keep out of football, or if he's going to get into football again, he'll stay as far away from the limelight as he possibly can for his own good. That's probably a good point. But but just, just on on them two, I mean, being, being involved in Sunderland and being part of our club's history, those two, being owners of Sunderland, are a complete consequence of how far we fell. The lower you go, yeah. the lower you go down the pyramid, the more that you get. You know, I mean, if you well, you go back to the days. Actually, you go back to the seventies and eighties, almost where it's the, the local businessmen. You know, they they've got the the money to be able to you know invest in in football clubs, which they can't hire up the pyramid now. They used to own all the top clubs, and now they're falling lower and lower. And you get these these owners who come into the, the lower reaches of the league, buy up clubs and take risks with them. And that's what we got with, with Stuart Donald and Charlie Methven, people who didn't really have the funds to do it, but thought, actually, we'll buy law. And if we get them up a division, we can sell up or get an investor or someone like that to, to plough the money in, which in the end they did, but it was in League One. And the thing is, when you, when you look back at it, they were a last minute goal away from getting away with it. If we, yeah. if we hadn't have conceded that, last minute goal against Charlton and it went to penalties or whatever happened and we managed to get lucky and, and go up, they would have gotten away with it. And, they would have, you know, whatever deals they did to get the club, they would have taken us to the championship. Nobody would have questioned anything. You know, who's to, who's to know what would have happened? Would they have gotten an investor? Would they have tried to chance it again and, and make more money? So, you know, the the, the last four years have, have kind of hinged on, on moments on them getting it you know the the whole Josh Madger thing and all that sort of stuff in the first year, but they were that they were pretty close to getting away with it. Yeah, I think my my reflection is that it, well, Methan in particular is somebody who purported to get what it meant to be a Sunderland fan, uh, purported to understand <laughs> the size and the history and the the culture of our club, but don't think they ever did and certainly he ne he never did quite understand what fan groups were what fanzines are what Sunderland football club means to the city to the region to the people who follow it around the world as a on an emotional level he saw it as any other business that could be transformed through changing the music through inviting cameras in through 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 whatever means apart from what it meant on the pitch things like bringing in Phil Parkinson as a manager i don't think was was a smart choice <laughs> whatsoever um i think one i think once you saw um Kira Louis Dreyfus taking the reins somebody who at least family had had experience at another big European football club, you saw a, m a more professional approach to everything. And I think you're absolutely right, Chris, in terms of these are 
you know, Oxford United fans being involved with Eastleigh, this is a different operation to Oxford United or Eastleigh. The different expectations, different history, different scale and a different connection, much more akin to Marseille than, than Eastleigh in terms of in terms of that. So I just think ultimately they were out of their depth and they'll probably um say, you know, they 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 turned the ship around, they got everything back on a financial footing that meant that we were a saleable asset, which is which is probably true. I mean we didn't keep sinking as other clubs have and and we didn't go bust and we haven't gone bust and we're not gonna go bust. And they did find that outside foreign investor with the billions to come in and 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 take the club forward so on them levels you know the, the the some of the promises in that early exchange of podcasts and stuff were held to in that regard but as a public relations exercise um ironically uh, it was a it was a, a bit of a disaster um so gav i think you've got one more point and then we'll we'll finish yeah up. well it was you said right at the start of this part of the conversation, well, we might have heard the last of him. I don't think we have. I think <laughs> at some point he will come out. He'll be in the Athletic. He'll be in the Times or the Guardian or something, and it'll be a full-on spin piece talking about how great the job was that he did. Yeah. Because I don't think he's gonna. He isn't gonna want Sunderland fans to have the final say on what he did at Sunderland. So yeah. we won't hear the last. Of this guy. He's gonna appear all over the place. He's a PR man. He's going to try and rescue his reputation. And I imagine that, you know, we're going to hear probably more from Methan in the next six months than we have probably for the last year and a half, would be my prediction. There'll be there'll be a book release within 18 months. You think? It'll be, it'll be on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here or something like that. Love Island, maybe. He'll <laughs> be living off it for a while. Yeah, well, 100% be living off it for a while in terms of the money he's made. Let's be honest, he'll have made, he'll have made a, a pretty penny out of this whole fiasco. Enough for him to be comfortable for the rest of his life and not have to worry about what his reputation is sort of nationally. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, just, to, just on, on quickly on your point, Rich, where you said they were out of their depth. I mean, I'd summed it up on Netflix when both of them, I think they were independently at different times, said they were both terrified when they took the job on. And you, you don't want an owner who comes in and being terrified. No. You want an owner coming in and knowing what they're doing, don't you? Pretty much sums it up. Yeah. Well, hopefully it's the last we have to talk about for a little while. <laughs> anyway, so um, thank you, everyone, for listening. This may well come out. Um, before, during, or or after the fixture breakfast we have on Rope Report on Thursday morning, but that'll be available to listen to on uh, Twitter Spaces, both live and as a recording, and I'm sure it'll be it'll be good fun as we all look forward to a season in the Championship with uh, uh, some 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 big names coming up to the Stadium of Light and some nice away days up and down the country at stadiums that you know. I've got more than just one pie stand to welcome Sunderland fans. So, um, thanks, thanks a lot to you both uh, for your time this morning. Cheers, Rich. And thanks everyone for listening. And check out Rope Report for all the latest stuff going on at Sunderland Football Club. Sarah.
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.